so for the next two weeks um, in this series, current series that we're in, we're going to be talking about God's perspective um, on uh, physical intimacy and sexual ethic. And so I want to say that from the top today for a couple of reasons. Maybe uh, you're here and you've got your kids in here with you today, and I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. And so maybe you would say, man, you know, I don't know if I want to have those discussions with my kids yet. So you could maybe just slip out during the prayer time, take your kids, put them in LifePoint Kids or in middle school, whatever. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And I'm not saying that you should do that. Um, but, you know, we're going to be aligned with kind of the classical um, historical view of theology of uh, the church over the centuries regarding um, this topic and this, this issue. The global church um, around the world will be in alignment um, with them as well. Not the application, right? That's all over the map, and we'll, we'll talk some um, about that. But if you want to take that opportunity, I want to give you the chance uh, to do that. Here in, uh, here in just a second. Second thing um, is as we talk about these topics over the next couple of weeks, I know that sometimes there are opportunities where you may want to step out and pray with someone during the message. So I just want you to know that our Next Steps team will be available if you will go out over your right shoulder, exit over your right shoulder. There's a door there, doorway there, a glass door that says Next Steps. Our team will be available throughout the message if, you would like to, uh, if you'd like to take the opportunity uh, to step out and pray with somebody, okay? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get going. Um, Lord, that, uh, that, that thing that we just sang, those words that we are on holy ground, God, we walk and live in your presence. There is nowhere that we can go. The psalmist said, where can we flee from you and from your presence? And so, God, we are grateful for your word and your truth today as we, um, God, seek uh, to look at the questions sometimes that are deepest in our hearts, deepest in the hearts um, of our friends. God, we pray for grace and mercy uh, this morning to trust it, to believe it, to walk it out um, in relationship uh, with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, the series, we're calling it Asking for a Friend. And the, re the reason that we're doing that is because we know, you know, that you have questions. I have questions, some of which you are willing to voice, some of which you wish that, you know, somebody else would voice in your place. And the majority of our questions, I think, surround uh, relational dynamics. That's why the Bible gives us 59 one another statements that really kind of talk to us about how we communicate with each other, how we relate um, to each other. And so the way that we're saying it each and every week um, in this series, the big idea for this series is that we believe that God has answers to life's toughest questions. Now, when it comes to these next couple of weeks, we don't just need answers, right? We need answers and we need applications. How do we live and walk these truths out. Uh, some of you know that I have a son who's in college and he's in his third year um, at the Ohio State uh, University uh, this fall. And he lives um, down on South Campus in a house uh, with a bunch of guys live on one side, a bunch of girls live on the other side. And it is affectionately referred to as the pig pen. We are so proud as parents. <laughs> And I'll just tell you, it lives up to its reality, right? It lives up to, to its name. And so I'm, I, you know, I love all the guys that my son lives with. They're great guys. Um, but I'm very concerned about what's growing behind the walls um, in the pig pen. And so I've, you know, kind of suggested maybe you move out. Maybe you find another place to live. And every year my son is like, Dad, no way. Like these guys, these are my, 
these are my dogs, you know, these are my guys, these are my fellas, right? And um, so, th- so my son has developed a slogan uh, for the pig. His slogan is, high quality guys, low quality living. That's what he says. That's what he says about the pig pit. And I think sometimes when it comes to this topic um, in Christendom and around church, and Christ- we are high quality truth and we are low quality application. So we are looking for both answers and we're looking for applications. Paul is communicating. He is answering the questions that come from the Corinthian church. Um, the Corinthians, they wrote to Paul. They have these questions. And, um, you know, Corinth, I think I said last week, is kind of like, um, like the Las Vegas um, of its world. It's kind of like the Bourbon Street of its world. They had the Temple of Aphrodite was there. Um, a thousand temple prostitutes would flood the streets at night. They had all these questions for Paul um, about sexuality. So our goal in the series is that we want to do two things. We want to believe truth correctly and we want to treat each other carefully. Believe truth correctly and simultaneously we want to treat each other carefully. So as we approach the text today, uh, the question that we're going to look at, and I believe the question probably the culture would ask of the church in general, the church at large, is why are Christians, why do they seem so repressive or so regressive regarding sexuality um, and sexual ethics? And part of that comes down to the nature of how we see love. Um, Paul went to great lengths to define the reality of love from God's perspective, not from our human perspective, but from God's perspective in this same book, in 1 Corinthians. If you look forward, we're in 1 Corinthians 6, but if you look forward seven chapters, over in 1 Corinthians 13, even, even though we only read these verses at weddings, typically, um, and these really don't have that much to do other than they're a great application for us in the ethic. But this is really defining, this is where God defines love for us. 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's sentence number one, and I think everything else kind of flows out of that. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for the reality that love is not rooted in feelings, right? My feelings are yo-yo, right? They're up, they're down, they're all over the place. And, you know, our feelings, feelings, they perform a very important function in our lives. It's kind of like your car, right? The sensors that pop up on your dashboard are critical, but the car can run without the dashboard, right? The engine is what makes the car run. Our feelings are like the dashboard. They kind of are sensors that can point us to realities that are going on much deeper in our heart and in our lives. But truth, right? That's the reality. God's truth, that's that's the engine when it comes to love. So I'm going to operate off this definition um, of love today. I didn't find it anywhere. I made it up this week. You can, you can love it or come up with your own definition and type it into the app notes if you want to. I believe love is God's patient, kind, right? It's his patient, kind 
responds to us, this, this, uh, this truth and reality that we see, that we learn in the person of Christ. It's this sacrificial expression. God's love is his patient kindness toward us that we see exampled um, in the person uh, of Jesus, in the person of Christ. That's the foundation for everything else that, that we're going to talk about. That's where we're coming from. It's where I believe the Bible's coming from when it actually talks about love. So you can flip back over to 1 Corinthians, 9, or 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, and we'll start there in the first half of the verse. It says this, Paul says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers, and I want to just stop right there real quick, wrongdoers here is not people, uh, Paul is not talking about people who have made mistakes. We've all sinned. None of us in this room is perfect. We all have things that we wish we could go back and undo. But he's about to give us a list of what he refers to as wrongdoers. And the purpose of the list is to talk about people who are characterized by wrongdoing. There's not spiritual fruit in their life. They're not Christians. They're not believers, even though they may call themselves that. These are people, the best way I can say it to you, is that they are known for wrongdoing. This is what they're known for. This is the core, really, um, of who they are. He says this, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not, um, do not be deceived. Um, in some ways, I feel like the discussion uh, sometimes is taken away from us in the cultural sphere when it comes to a sexual ethic. I feel like the only two places that sometimes you are allowed to be, or I feel like that I'm allowed to be, is you are either um, a repressive, regressive Christian when it comes to sexuality, or you are um, an educated, intelligent person who believes that you can do whatever you want with your body as long as no one gets hurt. Like those are the only two landing spots for us. And, and, I, and I think we all agree, Christians, non-Christians alike, with the no one gets hurt part, right? We would say as believers that sexual abuse, um, coercion, using power, manipulation to force sex from another person is wrong and terrible and abhorrent and evil and dark in every, in every form, facet, and way. There's agreement on, on that, that part and that reality. Um, we're blessed as a church to be partnered. I talk about a lot with our national network of churches. And, you know, sexual abuse works, it out, works its way out in our world in a number of different applications in a number of different ways. 25 million people around the world are sexually trafficked every year. And that's not just around the world. That's here in our country. We are blessed uh, to be partnered with Friendship House in, uh, in New Orleans. It just had its 75th uh, anniversary um, this year. And Friendship House works with folks who have been rescued. They work with a lot of other folks as well, but folks who have been rescued um, from trafficking. As a matter of fact, I'll show you a picture of the hands of a young lady um, who came, who was rescued. We'll call her Sarah, um, who came to Friendship House this past year, and she took a ceramics class. And out of taking a ceramics class, she decided that she, um, she really liked to be creative. So then that turned into taking a culinary class, which has turned into a professional career for her. Kay Bennett, uh, I think you'll see a picture of Kay here. Kay leads Friendship House in New Orleans, does an incredible, incredible job. And so we're blessed to be part of doing what we can, right, to try and push back that, that kind of darkness. 
I think the thing for us to remember more, maybe more on a personal level, is that neither the church's view nor um, the culture's view are new. We have the tendency to think that the way we think today is the way that we are advanced, so far right, advanced, and we're so much smarter in the ways that we think. And it's kind of what I think C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. But I want you to hear how Paul addresses um, these folks in Corinth and how similar it sounds to us in verse 12. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul says, yes. Paul says, you can do anything you want, but it's not wise to do everything you want. Why not? Verse 15, he continues. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So speaking to the Christians here in Corinth, he says, listen, do you not, do you not understand, do you not see that your bodies are members, right, of, of Christ? So in other words, Paul would say, listen, you can do whatever you want as long as your body is your body. But Paul is about to say something to us and I think to in the broader world, the broader context, broader context today of our culture is, quite frankly, revolutionary. Here's what he says down in verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So what Paul says here is um, the revolutionary part is that he says, listen, your body is not your body. Your body was bought at a price. Now, that does not mean that you don't have agency. It doesn't mean that you can't make decisions, yes and no, what you're going to do with your body. It just says that ultimate ownership of your body. Your body is just on loan to you. If I could say it that way, my body is on loan to me. I'm a steward of this physical body that God has given to me as you are a physical steward of the body that God has given to you. Why? Because we were bought at a price. Because God left heaven, came to earth in the person of Jesus, sacrificed himself for us, for our sins on the cross, brutally tortured, beaten, uh, crucified, resurrected, all in my behalf and in your behalf. And in doing so, he redeemed our bodies, right? So the body that you have and the body that I have has been, has been purchased. Um, it's, it's, been, it's been bought, if you will. So that means if, the, if my body belongs to God, on loan to me, agency for it, charge uh, of it, what does that mean? That means I have to regard my creator in how I determine to use my physical body. I, the Christian perspective on sexuality is not repressive or regressive from my perspective at all. God created it. It was his idea. It is a beautiful, wonderful, powerful thing used inside the context of, of God's boundaries. He's, he's the one who designed it. He's the one who, who thought this, this plan up and, and put it all together. This was, this was God's, 
This was God's idea. But like everything that is beautiful and powerful, if it's used in a way that God did not intend, it also has incredible power for destruction. Um, it's warm outside uh, right now. We're heading into the beginning of the fall. It's my favorite time of year, right, in Ohio. But this reminds us of what? Winter's coming, right? And we're going to get to the middle of February, and we're going to look back on complaining about how hot it is and how dry it is, and we're going to wish and want for the days, right, the weather that we currently have, that we're currently, man, I wish it could be this. And in the middle of winter, you know what's great sometimes? It's just a fire in the fireplace, right? It's, it's beautiful, it crackles, maybe if it's, if it's a, not a gas-powered lawn, maybe it's real wood, it's got that smell to it. It's beautiful, it's powerful to heat a home. Fire in the fireplace is awesome. Fire in your lap, not so awesome, right? Fire is wonderful because it has boundaries. And you're like, well, that's kind of a weird way to say that. I'm just echoing, I'm echoing scripture, Proverbs chapter 6 Verse 27, speaking about these um, realities of a sexual ethic, um, the writer of, of Proverbs says this, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Right? Fire in the fireplace, awesome. Fire in your lap, not, not awesome. God's idea, God's uh, creation for sexuality is incredible. It's an incredible gift that God has given to us. So what tends to happen, what was going on in Corinth and what sometimes goes on in the context um, today is that we have this tendency to say things like, well, God's a God of grace, right? God forgives, God understands. All of those things are true. God is a God of grace. God does forgive. God does understand, but that's not the point. The point that Paul is making is that your body and my body have been bought and that God has a plan. He has an incredible design, a wonderful gift that he has given to us. And grace in our lives, grace is a leader, not a license. Grace is not, is not like you can just flash your grace card so that you can kind of do whatever it is that, that you want to do. Rather, grace should lead us it should lead us towards God. The fact that God has been so good to us in the person of Christ. I'll read you the second half of Romans chapter 2, verse 4. says this, knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The goodness of God leads us to himself. So, all of that explanation in chapter 6. Now what I want to do is I want to read you the list of all of these things. It's not an exhaustive list. Uh, of sin in the New Testament. There are a bunch of different lists, but this is a list that the Corinthians in particular, um, that they were struggling with uh, and fighting against. So chapter six, verse nine B all the way through 11 says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now remember, we started with wrongdoers. These are people not who've made mistakes, not who've slipped up. These are people whose lives are characterized for these things without spiritual, you know, without spiritual fruit. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor who practice homosexuality, men with men, 
women with, women with women is addressed uh, as well in, over in Romans chapter 1. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I think that is, uh, if not the, one of the most important past tense verbs in the whole New Testament. Paul gives us this list, and he says, listen, these things used to define you. These things used to characterize you. Well, what, what changed? Here's what he said. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit, um, by the Spirit of our living God. So Paul says, listen, this is who you were. Now, you're characterized, you're identified by something different. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been set apart to truth, and you've been justified. You, your spirit has been cleaned to the degree that you are identified with Christ and identified uh, with Christ's righteousness. So, rolling out of that, that creates then um, the beginnings, at least, of a grid for us as we think about a biblical sexual um, ethic. I think in the Gospels, I think that Jesus asked, I was talking to somebody about this this week, Jesus asked the most important question ever asked by someone to anyone in the history of the world. I'll say it to you again. I think in, in, in Matthew 16, I think Jesus asked the most important question ever asked by someone to anyone in the history of the world. When Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? Now, he had already asked them who do men say, right, that I am. He had already asked what's the culture say about me, and they had given him some responses. But here then he says, he makes it very pointed and very personal. He says to them, but what about you? Who do you say? And how you and I answer that question really determines everything that we think, do, and believe in the world. And like, is he God or is he not? The answer to that question really determines for us, it determines for us the movement forward. And, and listen, for that list of things that I read to you, you can't pick and choose on the list, right? You can't say, well, I champion the, the side of that that's the biblical sexual ethic and live with a heart full of greed. Can't do it. You can't say, yeah, I believe what the Bible says about this and this and this, right? And live on full idolatry, worship at the idol of sports or whatever the God is in your life that's active that you're not addressing. You either embrace the whole list or you don't embrace the list, right? So as you do, and as you say, you know what, I believe what God is teaching, and I believe what God is teaching here is truth for me, for my soul then I think you can embrace God's design, God's boundary, God's design for sexuality. This wonderful gift that he's given to us is given to us in the context between a man and a woman inside the context of covenant oneness marriage. It is, uh, it is on display. God has given it to us to be designed. When, when two people, a man and a woman, come together and they're committed to one another um, physically, spiritually, legally, financially, emotionally, 
inside the context of covenant oneness. That's God's design for us. The word that he uses here for sexual immorality is the word pornea. It's where we get our word for pornography. And it refers to all sex outside of the boundaries of the covenant oneness of marriage. So what does that mean? That means heterosexual sexuality outside the boundaries of marriage. That means homosexual activity outside the boundaries of marriage. That means sexual abuse. Um, that refers to pornography and the use of pornography. All of those things fall outside the boundaries of God's design for sexuality. Therefore, uh, they're wrong and they're not the best for us. They're not the best for human, for human flourishing. So, in, uh, in saying that, I'll say on one side, I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful as the pastor that I'm watching young people today be sanctified in this truth. We do a lot of weddings at our church. And I am blessed to watch young people learn these truths and step backwards sometimes out of relationships where they've been sexually active. I've been blessed to watch um, young people uh, um, over the last, even over the last year, right, who um, come to church, come together, uh, come here and living together, acting like married people. And all of a sudden they learn these realities and they go, hey, what, what, what do we do? And we're able to do everything we can to help them to step into these sanctified realities. Sometimes they step out of living together and they go live in separate places until they get married. Sometimes they move their weddings up and they go ahead and get the ceremony done to get the matrimony right and do the bigger celebration later on. And I, I'm grateful for that. And I'll say as well that um, these truths are not academic in nature. And what I mean by that is for a lot of us in the room, these truths are very, very personal. They represent um, brothers and sisters being on different sides, seeing this differently, parents and children trying to walk these realities out. It affects our, our personal relationships, our professional relationships. This is an issue um, for us that is... It's deeply, deeply personal. So that said, um, I want to say a few things as we kind of begin to turn a corner here and head towards uh, wrapping up towards the, the end of the message. Um, first of all, um, you may be here today and you're a Christian. You love Jesus. You love God. You love his word. Um, and your, um, your reality may be that um, you experience same-sex attraction. And you wonder, what, what do I do? Um, I would say to you that I hope that our church is a place where you can find some trusted, uh, wise, biblical voices that will walk through and walk out the realities that you are experiencing um, in this uh, in this in this uh, culture and context that sometimes I'm, I know is, is very, very uh, difficult, very, very um, confusing. Um, I'll remind you that a struggle with same-sex attraction is not the worst thing on that list. All of those things on that list have the propensity to separate us, to separate us from God. But I hope our church is a place where you can walk these 
truths out in the context of biblical community, which, by the way, we're launching a brand new term of life groups uh, next week. And that's not just um, for a specific group, but that's for all of us to live out truth in the context uh, of community. Um, at the end of the app notes, uh, or at the bottom of the app notes uh, today uh, that, are in, that are in the app, there's a list there that one of our teaching pastors put together of six different recommended resources. I know I cannot speak exhaustively um, to this topic um, today. But there is a good mixture, I think, there of single people, married people, people who are walking these truths and realities out um, in their life. So um, hopefully those uh, can be helpful resources as well. Um, maybe you're here today and you identify with the LGBTQ plus um, community. Um, I understand that we disagree. I, I fundamentally understand that we disagree. And I want to say that we love you. The reality is that there is a false narrative that goes on in our culture right now that says love equals full agreement and disagreement equals hatred or bigotry. And that's a false narrative. What I said to you last week I think applies here. If the only people that you can love and the only people who can love you are people that you have 100% agreement with in the world, the pool of people whom you can love and who can love you is going to become very, very, very... There are so very few people that you live in 100% agreement with um, about, about every single thing, every single um, reality. Third, um, maybe you are here today um, and you are experiencing, maybe not voicing, but maybe you are experiencing confusion. Especially, I want to talk to you if you're in the room today and you are a teenager or uh, maybe college. And there are so many messages that fly out there and you're, you're confused. Um, I think what I want to say to you, and I want to say this as well as I can say it, certainly not perfectly. You are more than your sexual desires. Your identity is not, your identity is not your sexual desires. Don't allow anyone to minimize you to that reality. We live in a world right now that says if someone questions anything about what you believe about sexuality, then, man, they don't, they don't love you, they don't trust you, they don't care about you because they're questioning your very identity. There's a great, great verse I'll give to you from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. The first half of it says this, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks, um, that speaks a better word. We sing a song around here that says your blood, speaking of Jesus' blood, speaks a better word. That you and I are the redeemed children of God. You have been washed, you have been sanctified, and you have been justified. Can I tell you, that, that's who you are, right? That's who you are. And I, under, I feel like I understand the confusion. Um, when I was eight or nine years old, 
um, there was a, a boy who was a few years older than me uh, that lived around where I lived. And he took advantage of me um, on one or two occasions. And out of that experience, um, it created confusion for me as I headed into my teenage years. And it really, I, I just kind of shelved that whole experience until I got into college, understanding that every now and then I would wonder and think. And, but when I got into college, I started living in this relationship with God from a relational view instead of a religious view. And inside of that context, I feel like for the first time when I was in college, I learned who I really am. The bought, purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross, Son of God, sanctified, washed, washed, justified, son of his. And when that becomes your identity and that becomes your reality, all of a sudden your desires and preferences can get pushed a little bit to the periphery to say that these things that everyone says have to define me don't define me. God is my creator. He's the one. He's the one who has the right to define me. And then the last thing I'll say to the broader body, um, we want to imitate Jesus as much as we can. And the scriptures say, I mentioned this last week, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And some of us have been champions of truth and we have failed to be gracious. Like I said at the beginning of the message, the applications of, our, of this theology, the historically and certainly what we've experienced in the past 100 years, have been all, over, they've been all over the map. And, you know, we should be. We should understand the reality that we should be full of truth and at the same time full of grace. And sorry for the moments when we haven't, when we haven't been that. And at the same time, while some of us are champions of truth who fail to be gracious, some of us are loving, kind, mercy givers, and we are very tempted to bend the truth. And that is not helpful. We are to be full. We, I was talking with a friend of mine years ago who was walking out uh, this life of experiencing same-sex attraction and was talking to him about these realities. And he said, um, he said to me, he said, Dean, we are not more merciful than God is. And so he reminded me that we need to be full of both, gra both grace and truth. God has given us sexuality as a wonderful gift. And for a couple of thousand years, not only historically the church, the global church at large today, we are, like I said, in alignment that we live in gratitude for this gift that God has given us, used in the context of God's boundaries, not living in the personhood of who we were, right? Who you used to be, not who you were, but you have been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. That, 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 that is who you are person of God, Jesus Christ, 
dying on the cross, crucified, resurrected, empowering us to live a joyful, redeemed life. Let's pray together. God, these, uh, these truths um, for us to be lived out in the context of your, um, your body and your, they call, God, on us to be uh, people of grace and truth. And God, I pray that, uh, that we will live up to that. Forgive us, God, when we fail um, to do that. But God, I pray that our lives, our hearts, and our attitudes are a blessing to the earth. And what you said to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west, that God, your name would be known and that your name would be praised. Thank you so much that you teach us what love is and what love looks like. You don't just call us to rules, but God, you showed us. Thank you for the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, maybe this morning as we have taught, um, talked, maybe God's spirit uh, has impressed you to take the step of beginning a personal relationship with Christ. Maybe, maybe you did that some time ago, but you're not walking that out. Maybe like my experience was um, in college and it's now is the time for you to ignite that. We would love to help you wherever you are in your relationship with Christ. Um, to do that as you leave today, I mentioned the next steps area at the, top of the, at the top of the message today. If you'll exit out over your right shoulder, there's a door there that says next steps or next steps team. Um, they have on gray t-shirts or gray hoodies um, in there and they would be more than happy to help you as you begin this relationship. We have actually written a book for you called Your Next 30 Days. It's free for you. So you can stop there and pick up a copy on your way out. Maybe, um, especially in light of today, you'd like for somebody to pray uh, with you or to give us a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Um, you can do that there in the Next Steps uh, room. Um, if you'd like to talk to us about going public with your faith through baptism, we can begin that conversation there in the Next Steps room. Um, for, uh, for those of you who are regular attenders and members, as always, we are grateful uh, for your generosity, grateful for the ways that you give financially to help us make a difference in the world. Uh, today, I, I mentioned um, what's going on around the world in, uh, in the area of sex trafficking. And um, your partnership with us allows us to be at work, not just here, but in places around the world. And hopefully, prayerfully planting churches that are going to make a difference in generation after generation after generation. Our, um, our national network uh, of churches uh, just reported that uh, last year uh, we saw 188,000 plus people uh, who have come to know Christ in the planting of churches and mission work um, around the world. And we've planted um, over 17,000 churches uh, in different countries around the world as well. So man, we are grateful for uh, your partnership, We're grateful for the ways you've worked. You can clap for that. <clears throat> we certainly are grateful. Um, for those partnerships. Um, I'll just remind you, again, in light of today, the recommended uh, re reading list. Um, if you want to do some further uh, study or reading about this topic, that that's available um, in the app notes. Okay? Um, 